And Lauren, welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Love my Thursday shows every single week. It's a special show on America Can We Talk every Thursday because we have one guest. We talk for a whole hour uh, and we really do a deep dive on so many, many questions and issues facing America. We also have an in-studio audience uh, and I'm grateful for them, for every single one of them for being here and they have an opportunity uh, near the end to ask questions. And so it's just a, it's a very fun show. And I think you know, if you listen to my show very often, very special guest today, Sydney Powell. And she needs no introduction, but I'm still gonna make a very, very brief one. Uh, she is the author, first of all, of this book called Licensed to Lie. And we're gonna have it up during the show. Um, and I will tell you a quick story about that. So License to Lie, I didn't, she came out in 2014, very brave book, we'll talk about a little more in a moment. But she wrote it about what she learned working uh, in the Department of Justice and really about the way in which our justice system was being administered. She very bravely wrote about things that, um, that America wouldn't otherwise have known about, misconduct within the Department of Justice. Wonderful book. So I interviewed her then, back in 2014. Then in 2019, uh, all of the Russia-Trump collusion, uh, the non-existent collusion, but the hoax story was out. A lot of talk about Mueller, what he was doing, Trump-Russia collusion, and we were all learning the names of Comey and uh, you know, Rosenstein and Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. So I was asked to interview Sydney at a very lengthy, uh, it was a one hour interview back in 2019, and uh, just about what was happening in Washington, what is happening to our country. And the reason that I'm giving that long intro was, um, as I prepared for that interview, and I was, for myself, learning many of these names, who are these people, uh, but I finally got my, or my very detailed notes together and I sent Sydney a text, I'll send you all of my questions to which she replied, surprise me. So <laughs> I didn't send her my questions and I didn't do it again today. So we are just gonna talk about Sydney Powell who is not just an author, but she is an attorney who has practiced law for decades. Uh, she has worked uh, primarily in the Fifth, um, Circuit, Federal Circuit Court of Appeals for decades, lead counsel in more than 500 federal appeals, uh, 350 of them as an assistant U.S. attorney. Uh, she's a widely recognized stellar lawyer, uh, decades of practice in America. Uh, she also is the author of this book, uh, which was a very brave speaking out about the Department of Justice. Uh, she has since that time founded uh, something. She has a website, sydneypowell.com, which is very informative. She's also founded Defending the Republic, and that website is called defendingtherepublic.org full of information about her mission, uh, which I, I capsulized, let her say more, but capsulized down to Sidney Powell is simply committed to truth, to the justice system and the rule of law. And she carries that passion and commitment to those values to everything she brings. So welcome to Sidney Powell. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you all very much. I, I <laughs> appreciate your being here, and, and um, I'm interested in hearing your questions later, but I really appreciate your support. <laughs> well, honestly, this room, I think this room represents literally millions of Americans who recognize leaders like you. You are not put off by seeking popularity, going the easy route, saying the things that appear to be trendy to say. You really do. You have throughout your career, you've been a fighter for truth. And I think we, we desperately need that in America today. So I wanna just, I'm gonna hit on a bunch of topics. I wanna start with the January 6th committee 
and or as I call them, the January 6th Inquisition Committee. Um, and I know you were recently, we'll just go right to the fun little video, oh, which yeah. will explain why we have Ty Dr. Pepper sitting here. Um, but uh, Sydney was recently gave her testimony uh, before the January 6th Committee that is looking into the non-insurrection of January 6th. And she gave her testimony uh, via video. And there was a short segment that went viral. And I believe Mr. Emilio has it ready to show you. And for the audience, I think you have to turn around and see the screen. Finding and the terms of 13848 eight, that apparently nobody else had bothered to inform him of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The reason, <laughs> I mean, that went viral everywhere. And honestly, I, I mean, among, beside that, you know, people like Diet Dr. Pepper, especially in Texas, but. It's because it was kind of a signal. You people do not, or this is how I read it. You do not intimidate me. You know, I've been answering your questions. So let me just start with you. I were called before the. <laughs> well, really, I don't think anyone intimidates you. But on the January 6th committee, you were um, subpoenaed. You gave your testimony. Uh, so I don't know how much of it is all public, but what were they after? Why were they after you? Uh, well, virtually none of it's public. They only played a few minutes of my testimony. They definitely cherry-picked what they wanted to show. And I thought it was hilarious that they played the long slug of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it went viral. Uh, people were calling me, telling me I was trending on Twitter. And, of course, Twitter <laughs> blocked me and threw me off at the same time they threw the president off. So to be trending on Twitter just... It's too funny for words. Oh, but it's very funny. As I say, it, to me, I think to a lot of people, kind of sent a message because the January 6th committee is about intimidation. It's about intimidating Trump. It's about intimidating other Americans who might have supported him. And uh, I, to my sense, it's backfiring. So turning to your organization, um, which you we talked about just a minute ago, Defending the Republic, um, I want to talk about a lot of things you're doing, but what is Defending the Republic? What you're doing now, I mean, you're obviously famous representing uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, uh, finally bringing about uh, his freedom uh, in a kind of zigzagged way, but finally got there um, and uh, through your brilliant work. But uh, what is Defending the Republic doing? Why, what are you doing? Well, we're representing a number of January 6th defendants. They're uh, very upset about the fact we are uh, helping them. We're funding their defenses. Uh, the lawyers that work for Defending the Republic are all independent contractors. Uh, we only have uh, one employee, but our independent contractors are lawyers that we found that are dedicated to the rule of law and willing to step up and fight the battles no one else will fight. And it's an extremely expensive proposition to defend the January 6th defendants. As everyone knows, the government has thrown everything at them, put them in the worst conditions imaginable in the D.C. gulag, as we call it. One has been beaten senseless multiple times to the point he lost his sight and his right eye and still hasn't been able to get the medical treatment he deserves. The, the judges are just not responsive to the pleas that we have made for them to be even treated humanely. I, I've never seen anything like it, never thought I would see anything like it in this country. But defending the Republic is also working in defense of those who do not want the COVID vaccine. 
We have litigation going in a number of places in federal courts to protect our military from being force vaccinated, those who don't want it for religious reasons or uh, for medical reasons. We're representing, I don't know how many numbers of military individuals who just have sense enough not to want the vaccine. And uh, we're also still working on uh, the Dominion case. Dominion sued me and defending the Republic itself for 1.7, I think, billion dollars um, <clears throat> because uh, alleging that we defamed them with the things that I said after the election. So defending the Republic has to defend itself in that. But in the course of that litigation, we hope to bring out the truth about Dominion and get discovery that should we should have had already, frankly, uh, as to what their source code is and how they have gone about doing whatever it is they have done and who is actually behind it. So we're working on you know, government corruption from different angles, COVID vaccine mandates and January 6th defense. And we probably, I don't even know how many cases we have going, but it's a lot. I was just thinking while you were talking, it's like truth, justice, and the American way. I mean, really what you're defending is the very idea of America and the notion of rule of law and, and not selective prosecution. I want to go back to January 6th defendants. I'm sure you don't want to talk about the specifics of cases you have, but one case made the media just this week. It involved a woman. Um, she's a grandmother. She's 69 years old. And she uh, is a cancer, I, she may have survived cancer, but a cancer sufferer. She's also a drug and alcohol counselor. She helps people who are struggling with drug addiction. Uh, and all she did on January 6th was walk inside the Capitol and walk out. I mean, she didn't, she didn't hit anybody, break anything, start a fire. She didn't do anything like that. But she was up there because she was upset about the election. And she's about to start to serve a 60-day prison term. Similarly, and Dr. I, Simone Gold is about I, to serve gonna, a 60-day prison term, which is right. absolutely outrageous. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, Dr. Simone Gold, been, I've been in touch with her too. She, in fact, in her case, I think they held, the Capitol Police held the door open. Yeah, Diet Dr. Pepper, yeah, we love it here. Okay, but she, <laughs> she, but she, but for Dr. Simone Gold, they held the door open. Capitol Police, she goes in, she reads a little speech and leaves, and both of them facing 60-day jail terms. And, and I, I know it's so outrageous. It's almost like I can't formulate a question, but isn't this a grotesque uh, contortion, especially contrasted with the way people were treated who engaged in truly violent protests and Antifa and Black Lives Matter? I mean, does it make you worried about the legal system in America? <laughs> I've been worried about the legal system in America since before I wrote License to Lie. Yes, I mean, we've just witnessed the increasing politicization and weaponization of the Department of Justice and frankly, every federal agency, IRS, EPA, you name it. Obama made sure they all had SWAT teams. EPA has a SWAT team, fully armed and equipped and everything else that it used to raid Gibson Guitar Factory at five o'clock one morning over a particular kind of wood that it wasn't supposed to have. But yeah, I mean, that kind of, of Gestapo abuses have been running rampant in the country, particularly since the Obama administration. But what's scary about it, it kind of ties back <coughs> to your litigation, you're describing with Dominion, this could not occur, what, what is occurring 
just with the federal government, with the DOJ and FBI uh, complicit, there are judges involved in the system. I mean, literally thousands of judges. And it seems as though you hear very few voices among the judiciary speaking up and saying, this seems off base here. This person, this 69-year-old grandmother who didn't hurt anybody is spending 60 days in jail. I mean, I'm equally worried beside the unelected bureaucracy being complicit in all of this, but the judiciary is not stepping up and and defending the rule of law or the sense of equal application of justice. So, yeah, I mean, I know you're agreeing, but what do we do about that? How, how is America going to fix this? Well, I think the bottom line is we have to demand paper ballots hand counted. And that's regardless of, of where we are or what machines are being used. The same DNA we were told by a witness, I have a sworn affidavit, that the same DNA exists in all of the systems being used across the country. So they're all capable of being manipulated, pre-programmed, hacked, whatever you want to call it, to change the results of the election. And until we get paper ballots hand counted and of course, citizen only real voter ID, uh, we, are, we won't know whether we actually elected the right person or not. And that to me is a, is a terrifying thought. And it's been going on for at least 20 years. There's always been cheating in elections, unfortunately. I, I don't personally understand that. I, I mean, I thought the integrity of the American people was, much stronger than that. But, you know, we've got to go back to teaching integrity in the home and in all homes and in our schools, which of course have been completely taken over by communism and everything else evil we can think of. But we've got to get back to the basics and the, the paper ballots are going to have to be demanded in Texas county by county. It's the county commissioners that decide unless we can get the legislature to pass legislation that requires paper only. And it's simple enough to do that. In fact, it's far less expensive than the computerized voting machines. But I'm convinced from the work that I've been doing, and, and I'm still looking at all these issues as a matter of, of government corruption, uh, that it goes back to the time the first computers were brought in for an election and that the hanging chad issue in Florida in 2000 was quite deliberate and was done to achieve encouraging the computerization of elections which made it easier to cheat. It looks like there's evidence that Florida was stolen in 2000 and that Ohio and perhaps Florida also were stolen in 2004, both by virtue of the computer. In fact, I found evidence of a 16,000 vote, quote, glitch, end quote, as a result of a computer in Volusia County, Florida in 2000, while we were all distracted with the big uproar over the hanging chads then. And then in 2004 in Ohio, I've uncovered information that there was computerized voting fraud there. And it looks, I mean, it looks really bad. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it out soon in a, in a written piece and, and get all the evidence I've found out there. But if you go to the defendingtherepublic.org website, you can find the testimony of Clint Curtis. He is a computer programmer, a Republican, 
who was hired by a Republican who was head of the House in the state of Florida, his name was Tenney at the time, to write an algorithm to flip votes in South Florida for Bush. And Mr. Curtis testified live in front of Congress, gave sworn testimony in 2004, I think, in Ohio in front of a special seating of the House Judiciary Committee. Ironically enough, Jerry Nadler and I think Maxine Waters and a couple of other voices and faces you'll recognize were in that hearing. And he flat out told them he was hired and had the capability and did write an algorithm that would change votes in South Florida from uh, Kerry, was it Kerry then Gore. or Gore, from Gore to Bush. He didn't know if it was run, but he wrote it and it can be done. And it looks to me like it was done in Volusia County, Florida, where they had a quote 16,000 vote glitch that nobody paid any attention to then. But it's, it's all, we're, we're putting all the pieces together that show it's been going on for a very long time. We also have videos on the website of experts who are frankly liberal talking about how easy it is to hack the voting machines, how they have done it themselves. They have changed votes and changed results of elections as demonstrations authorized to be done to show Congress how easy it is to do it. So what I finally came down to is they've all known about this for 20 years. Both parties. Both parties have known about it for 20 years. It looks to me like the Republicans started it and the Democrats have since perfected it. In, I forgot what year it was, but the Obama Holder Justice Department divested Sequoia voting machine company assets from Smartmatic as an antitrust settlement of a lawsuit and essentially gave those to Dominion. And Dominion, that gave Dominion, uh, with another purchase that it made shortly thereafter, a 40% share of the domestic election machine market. And things have been going in a direction you've seen since then. You know, it's an amazing thing you mentioned about both parties being involved. There is that film Kill Chain, which I'm sure yes. you watched also, in which at one point it was the Democrats featured in this film. I mean, very prominent Democrats, oh, yeah. Senator Warren, um, a variety Amy of Klobuchar, it came out in April 2020 before the election. And, and they are screaming about the machines being hacked and, and used to affect elections, particularly in Georgia. The thrust of that documentary is that Stacey Abrams was robbed of the governor's seat in Georgia, uh, which, I mean, uh, th that could be true. If it is true, I think it's probably only because Stacey Abrams didn't cheat quite as much as the machines did because she is seems to be very adept at that and is behind some of the NGOs that were caught in the 2000 Mules documentary, yep. which if you haven't seen, you must see 2000 Mules. But go home tonight and watch Kill Chain and watch another documentary that came out a while ago called Hacking Democracy. That one is very good. And the same experts, Hari Hursty and uh, Halderman, uh, Professor Halderman, I think, are in both of those documentaries. They are both what I would call liberal, uh, but they both have recognized that these machines are completely and totally 
manipulable and have been for a long time. On top of that, they have reported all these vulnerabilities to the Election Assistance Commission, which is a commission that is frankly controlled by the voting machine companies, so it's totally worthless. And they've reported it to CISA, which is advised by the Election Assistance Commission, I think, so it's all one big incestuous group of election company people, current and former, who are running our elections and, quote, supervising our elections. So we've gotten nowhere with integrity in the system, and we're not going to get anywhere with integrity in the system as long as there are computers dealing with it. I love that. I want to mention the three films again because it gets to this point. I think that America is at a, I mean, obvious, but deeply divided, very upset. America is in a very contentious place. I think, you know, people know about the film Hacking America. Hacking uh, Kill, Democracy. Hacking Democracy, Kill Chain, and then the 2000 Mules film the documentary this year, uh, which was the Dinesh D'Souza film, and that deals with the um, cheating through mail-in ballot process and stuffing the ballot boxes. So everyone paying attention sees these films, they understand election integrity is, is there is no reliability about election integrity. Uh, they, many, many people, uh, myself included, do not think that the, uh, the 2020 election, I don't, don't think Biden won the election, but I'm not asking you to agree with that, but that is what I, I view. And so <laughs> we, we sit in this place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can agree. I don't put words in your mouth. What I want to say is, when we sit in this place, we, we sit in this place, we are now getting, we're a few months away now, we're going to have fall elections in 2022 multitudes, millions know about this. They know the mule story about the mail-ins. They know election machines are hackable. They know the Democrats complained about it. They know. And yet we cannot seem to get resolution. We don't get, we don't get states outlawing. We have a few counties in America that outlawed the use of electronic election machines. And I, I'm, maybe I'm, this is a, a cry in the wilderness, but what are we going to do about that? America knows and nothing seems to shift so that we can get back to, I mean, I know you said paper ballots, I'm with it all the way, but I feel very concerned we aren't getting elected officials or the power to change things to respond. Why do you think that is? Because they're all part of the problem. Because they got there with this, where they are, they got. They, they know exactly what's going on. There's no way that I don't think all the elected officials now know exactly what's going on with this system. The only way they stay there is if they play the game and they like their jobs and they're more concerned about keeping their jobs and then bucking the system or calling out whoever the puppet masters are. And one of the reasons, and this goes back to the January 6th committee, I think this is really important, the divisiveness is absolutely unnecessary. What I was proposing the president do on December 18th when I spoke to him in the Oval Office, only a fraction of which conversation the January 6th committee played this week, was to secure a small number of the machines in a few key counties and investigate those through a bipartisan group of experts to see exactly what happened, what algorithm was run, if one was. We know from the math that there was an algorithm run in virtually every state that shaved votes from Biden and gave them, I mean, from Trump and gave them to Biden. And that was probably pre-programmed or programmed at the last minute with the quote patches that were put on that weren't approved by the EAC or anyone else. And 
that would have solved the problem. Within two weeks, the American people could have known the truth. That is what Pat Cipollone and Eric Hirschman and everyone around President Trump opposed him doing. He had the authority to do that under Executive Order 13848 on cybersecurity. We have that order posted at defendingtherepublic.org, and that gave him all the power to do anything needed to conduct an investigation. For Attorney General Bill Barr and Pat Cipollone to say there was no federal means of doing that is simply not true. Election fraud is a federal crime. Presidential elections are governed by federal law, and there is an executive order that has been signed and renewed multiple years, including this year, that give the president the authority, whatever authority he needs, to have that investigation conducted. We were not suggesting that the military seize anything or that martial law be imposed. All of those statements are simply false. I didn't say that every judge in the country is corrupt. We only filed four lawsuits, uh, my little team, not 60-some, and no, not a single judge heard a single witness testify in any of our cases. So the evidence was simply never heard by a court. That I find absolutely appalling. And of course, as you all know, the Supreme Court let the time lapse despite us filing emergency motions uh, to seek review of all of those four cases. The Supreme Court let them sit on the docket and didn't even reconvene until January 8th and then said, oh, they're moot. Oh, it was outrageous. You've touched on so many things. I'm having to take notes while you're talking. I want to go back to one point about your meetings with President Trump in the Oval Office, which at the time, I mean, people were cheering you on saying, yes, just somebody with authority, which was President Trump, look at the machines and tell us whether this, these allegations of corruptible, vulnerable voting machines are true or not. And he, uh, and I think Cipollone just testified at the yes. January 6th oh, thing. Yes, they played Cipollone a lot uh, oh. on Tuesday. Yeah. Yes. He <clears throat> testified essentially, well, we didn't, we didn't have any authority to do that. And they did, clearly yeah. had authority. They did have authority to do that. And I found it absolutely appalling that no one around the president had shown him Executive Order 13848 or explained it to him, nor had they shown him the CISA FBI finding of October 30th updated the very day of the election, finding foreign interference in the election by right. Iran. Right. So everybody kept saying, you have no evidence, you have no evidence, you have no evidence. I showed him the color copy of the CISA finding and executive order 13848. He recognized he had the authority to do something. No one around him would support him in that whatsoever. Uh, they treated him with disdain and contempt like you cannot possibly imagine. They walked out in the middle of him talking to them from the Oval Office, convened, came back in to try to launch another assault. They had no rebuttal for what we were suggesting in terms of securing a few machines and having them inspected in a, with bipartisan and complete transparency just so the American people could have the answer. They simply wanted him to walk out. And all the president wanted, he said this to me repeatedly, and I testified to this with the January 6th committee. He said, I just want to know the truth. 
If I won, I won. If Biden won, and that's what the machines really show, that it was a legitimate, clean election, then I will walk out with my head held high and go to Marine One with, you know, with no problem. But the American people are entitled to the truth. And I remember raising my voice in more than one meeting and telling everybody in the room, yes, it's not about this particular president even. It's about the Republic of the United States of America. Yeah, I want to clap for that one. That is exactly right. That's exactly right. Where I want to go with that, really, the America suffered. I mean, I'm not going to launch off today on Biden's disastrous policies and what's happening to our country under the Biden administration. But back at that time, these conversations in the Oval Office, there was the opportunity, pounding him down, there was the opportunity for the president to just to find out the truth. And he was surrounded by uh, not enough people like you. He was surrounded by people who were pushed around by the media, pushed around by the uh, fear of public retribution, uh, pushed around by fear of the media mocking, criticizing, ridiculing them. And they gave him the advice, my opinion, they gave him the advice that seemed safest, that would not cause them to emerge with egg on their face or, or terrible headlines about themselves. It was safest to say, this is unprecedented. We've never done this before, so you probably shouldn't do it. They sold out the republic. They wouldn't let the truth be, get, be found out. And the fact is, he's right. If, they, if you look at the machines and they all said, wow, Biden won hands down, there you go. No harm. But that was a, a cowardly act of political uh, protecting myself, and not the country. Yeah, self-interest. They were all acting from self-interest, pure self-interest. And with contempt and disdain for him that was so obvious. I mean, it was palpable in the room. Yeah. Um, I'm, first of all, I was going to save this little spiel to the end, but as long as we're on this point, this is among the many things. I'm glad to have known you over the years. Um, I've always thought is noble about you is that you have always had this commitment to truth, seek truth, stand for the rule of law, stand for justice, and live with whatever the consequences are. And I say in my show, if Biden really won, then our mission is to help America understand how radical and dangerous today's anti-American Marxist left is. If he didn't win, then he shouldn't be there, which gets us to the next point I want to get to. So there's uh, no way he won. Oh, I know. There's no way. <laughs> I mean, actually, <laughs> if anyone here or anyone in the audience hasn't seen the films we mentioned, the mere existence of the 2000 Mules film, which was Dinesh D'Souza reporting essentially what Catherine Engelbrecht and True the Vote uncovered, which has to do merely with mail-in ballots. Enough evidence right there to show that in the swing states, there, was, there are enough ballots that, that the election was stolen, even with that little, that little, that form of theft, leaving aside the larger form of election uh, integrity. So I want to turn to, and so I, I just can't thank you enough. Yeah, go ahead. The mail-in ballots were the ground game to cover the votes needed. That's why the machine stopped. The machine stopped when the outpouring of Trump supporters on election day created so many votes, it broke the algorithm. They had exceeded all they could do with the pre-programmed algorithm wherever they had it. So they had to backfill with the fake ballots, the mail-in ballots. That's why you saw them pulling the ballots out from under the table in Georgia, the pristine unfolded ballots and running the same ballots through the machine repeatedly. They have some kind of excuse for that. I've forgotten what it was because it's a ball-faced lie, but 
Um, <clears throat> anyway, th that's how they were creating the vote spikes that they needed to make it appear legitimate and to claim that you know the mail-in vote is what made sure Biden won. Well, yeah, the mail-in vote made sure Biden won, but they weren't mail-in ballots. They were fraudulent ballots, and we, we all know that. I mean, Right. Yeah, I've talked on the show before, which I don't want to have to be a topic today, except to say that anyone, it, when mail-in ballots are mailed out indiscriminately, they're not someone who writes in and says, you know, I, I have this particular ailment this time, I can't get out of bed, I want to vote. That, you're seeking a vote. You're right. Those are absentee, absentee ballots, ballots that are okay. lawful in most states and should have been sufficient to deal yeah. with the COVID crisis. No, the mail-in ballot was a preconceived plan to a do it in mass yeah. amounts of numbers to get, provide the ground game they needed with the mules to cover for the machine fraud. Exactly. And the other point about that is because our voting rolls in so many states are never cleaned out, the, there are so many non-existent voters within the voter rolls to whom those mail-in ballots can be attributed because the voter rolls are full of people who aren't real, didn't vote, and aren't there. There's been a lot of evidence about Dr. Douglas Frank talks about how the numbers go up in the voter rolls just prior to an election, and as soon as it's over, they go down again. Yeah, well, they actually inflate the voter databases with fake or ghost voters. Yes, exactly. That's, that's a part of their means modus operandi also. The scheme. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I want to turn to you though. So here we are. We're... Oh, wait, I thought of one oh, more thing ahead. you, you need go right to know. Ahead. The government, the Department of Defense actually funded patents. I found the patents. We put those on the website to, that enables them to real-time monitor an election and to inject false voters undetectably into the voter databases. And there's another one that creates an algorithm to predetermine the outcome of an election. And that's all been, I think that's all since 2005 or around the time of 2005. And it was uh, being researched before that. So they know exactly what's going on. I'm convinced the CIA, other three-letter agencies have people that have a hand in all this also, which is another reason why it is so hard to undo and why they hate my guts. <laughs> well, we're all on your side. I do want to mention to people before I get, I want to talk about where we go next, but I do want to mention to everyone uh, listening and here in the studio, if you don't subscribe to the uh, newsletters or the emails that come out from Sydney's organization, Defending the Republic, you can go to it, defendingtherepublic.org, and sign up for the newsletters. I, I get a lot of newsletters just because of, of doing this uh, talk show so much. And I delete most of them without reading, but not hers. You will love them. You should subscribe. You'll feel so informed. You'll walk out the door with new information every day. But I'm going to turn to where, so where we are right now. And also wanted to mention, uh, you're very active on Telegram. And if you're not on Telegram, you should get on Telegram and follow her there. Part And, and you have been recounting things occurring in the states where it the fraud appears most massive, the swing states. So um, I want to just quickly run through where we are on that because it gets around to this, this point. I mean, the, uh, the reported outcome of the Electoral College uh, gave the victory to Biden. It was um, 306 to 232. And the states where there is very significant doubt that the I should say, in every single state, election fraud occurred. Seth Keschel has laid this out. Douglas Frank has. Many people have. Election fraud is, is kind of the, the standard operating procedure in America. It is the normal thing that occurs. And to try to change it, fix it, is going to be monumental. But where we are right now, we are watching this left-wing government deeply harm America in a variety of ways. 
And yet we have, for example, Colorado and Tina Peters. By the way, if you didn't listen to the Tina Peters interview in the show, she was in studio, I think it was June 9th. It was a Thursday show last month. Uh, if you just finished listening to her interview, you'll understand exactly how Dominion works. So you have Colorado, Tina Peters. She's now with Dominion Voting Machines, not just obtained information herself, but had it reviewed by experts with what she and others claim is overwhelming proof the Dominion voting machines not only are hackable and vulnerable, they were hacked, they were used to change votes. I mean... And she's being criminally prosecuted. Oh, seven felonies, three misdemeanors. Yeah, sure. Her home was raided. She was dragged out of her house in the middle of the night. One of her colleagues, a teenage daughter, was forced to stand outside in the cold in her underwear in a pre-dawn raid. I mean, the, the Gestapo tactics being used in Colorado against these people is another just horrific example of the abuses that are going on uh, of our By our own government. And that, those are federal people in Colorado. No, is I that think right? those state? are state people in Colorado that are doing it. Okay. Anyway, back to Tina Peters. Well, she's managed to draw out of the, uh, her job when she was clerk in... Um, and by the way, Tina Peters did not lose that primary, in my opinion. She is looking into it. Other, others are. She ran for Secretary of State. Three people in the primary. The, one was a complete Democrat plant, uh, works for the Zuckerberg folks. Uh, the other, the Republican who won actually works for the Zuckerberg folks. But back to her. Her evidence alone, so that's Colorado, nine votes. Uh, we have Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, Michigan. Just those electoral votes flipped would give Trump the victory, uh, which I believe he did win, but give Trump the victory. So we have people on the ground, you know, after every election, people say, oh, there was election fraud, you know, some guy in the cemetery voted, but this is systemic, it's widespread, and there are people in every state that where it matters, digging in, proving more things. Wisconsin, huge stories in Wisconsin, what the former Supreme Court Justice Gableman has uncovered of these people in you know, rest homes who have no mental functionality at all, and allegedly they voted uh, either 95 or 100% of the nursing home of people voted. So suppose all this is proven. Suppose you actually get Wisconsin getting close, it sounds like, to perhaps decertifying the election. Suppose all those decertify, Colorado, Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, Michigan. So the states decertify, Biden's in the White House. What happens? What do you do about it? Well, <clears throat> there should either be a completely new election with paper ballots hand-counted, or uh, I have maintained all along that Trump should be reinstated. Because? Because he actually won the election. Because fraud, yeah. And you, fraud vitiates everything. That's the line I love. <laughs> fraud vitiates everything. You don't get to keep the rewards of the fraud you committed. And even if Biden, he doesn't know what day it is. I mean, I'm sorry, he's, he's mentally declining. I don't know if he was what he was aware of at that time. But the people who installed him in the White House know perfectly well what happened. They all do. They understand. They installed oh, yeah. him. And so, so you have. But back to the Supreme. So you you say it should be a new election. You'd have to have it ordered right. by the Supreme Court. Yes, it would. It would have to be litigated, and the Supreme Court would have to do the right thing. And and I mean, they, they have broad equitable power. The Supreme Court does, and they can find an equitable remedy if they and want to. And it's their Supreme Court case that says fraud vitiates everything. Yeah, it's that's not, a, not me. It's, okay, I've played you on that little <laughs> line, you fraud vitiates, on my show because I love it. I didn't know it came until today that it came from a Supreme Court case. 
So suppose you have this. These, these states actually say, you know what? As it turns out, we were wrong. We certified uh, the election wrongly. Trump won here, and we, he's got overwhelming votes. So the cases have to get the Supreme Court with the evidence either maybe presented original jurisdiction to the Supreme Court and they look at it all or it's got to go up through the circuit courts. I'm really getting at we're in a novel place in America. Nothing like this of this magnitude has ever happened or at least ever been uncovered. Or not that, Right, not that we knew about, yes. Yeah, so the Supreme Court would have to act in a manner to try to reverse the fraud. So I mean, what, what will be their choices? They could order a, a new election in just the states with that have chosen to uh, withdraw their their electors. I mean, I, I really love to picture. How, I mean, you have much more experience than I in the in the uh, judiciary. In well, the, yes, but certainly on a national scale, this is unprecedented. It has. Uh, there have been elections that were set aside and people reinstated at in more local elections. I think there was a North Carolina race where the wrong person won by fraud and they reinstated the person who actually won. No new vote, no no new election, just put the right the winner in. Right. But, you know, given the magnitude of this entire problem, I don't I have no idea what the court would do. Yeah, I know you don't. I don't mean to ask, you know, make you feel like you just have a crystal ball, but I do think that for many people the answer, because they can't figure out what the court could do, then the answer is, well, we can't do anything. Okay, let's all admit it. No, I mean, it can act as a, as a court in equity, and it can fashion whatever remedy is right. needed. I think the simplest remedy, as I've said all along, and people like to you know, go nuts over the suggestion, is to simply put Trump back in, because he was already in. He shouldn't have been out, and so you just set a date Biden moves out by and Trump moves back in by. But. Uh, you know, it sounds good to me. I'll take that. <laughs> but what I'm really, we talked a little bit earlier with Tess John, the, the kind of uh, cowardice in, among some people in elected positions and very powerful positions. And, and cowardice drives you to make choices and recommendations that are, that give you the least uh, potential for being mocked and ridiculed and your name in the headlines, how foolish you are. Uh, so I, I'm afraid there are too many people like that, even in the judiciary, who just, but, but I, I back up from that and say, what we're talking about here, it should be at this point, given the amount of evidence available, it should be elected officials of both parties, literally locking arms on the steps of the Capitol and saying this was a stolen election and America does not have to live under an, un because it's, it's like the country, it really was the, the actual insurrection, the actual coup was that election of 2020. There should be people willing to say that and say our country has to fix this. I know it's a, it's a statement more or speech more, but I mean, there should be the bravery there like, like you are, you, you speak the truth so eloquently and calmly and certainly, but we, we, we have a massive lack of courage in our leaders to even acknowledge this. Lack of courage and uh, extreme self-interest. Yeah. yeah. We've lost the concept of public service. Instead, we have this entrenched bureaucratic class and entrenched political class that have made millions and billions from trading on their inside knowledge, particularly people in Congress. 
mean, don't forget, Dianne Feinstein had a Chinese spy on her payroll for 20 years while her husband was making millions, if not billions of dollars in deals with China. They let the Chinese spy retire in the US. Yeah, he's still here. I did not know that last part. Oh yeah, and, and nothing happened to Dianne Feinstein for that. Swalwell was sleeping with one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's no telling how many others are up there. And let's not forget the Awan brothers who were running the IT for all the Democrats in Congress and had access to all the congressional emails and were sending stuff to Pakistan. And that got swept under the rug. I want to ask you about that one because I never did know how... Was it the case you think the Democrats knew exactly who they were and they just got and, and they were complicit or they were just duped and not careful enough in vetting these people to hire them? Probably some of both. Uh, some probably knew and had some motive for bringing them in and others were probably duped and then got themselves blackmailed. Gracious. Okay, so I want to hit very briefly, and then we are going to allow our audience to ask questions. I, this happens every time I, I, I get really excited and we talk long, and then these people have a hurry up, ask it in 15 seconds. But I do want to hit one other point because I love the things you're doing with defending the republic, including that you are standing up for people who, for a variety of reasons, cannot or do not wish to take the vaccination uh, for COVID, and they don't want to lose their positions uh, in government. And I will say, as we've been doing this kind of you know, rapid review of America. We've looked at uh, concern about the judges and, and whether they are, um, there's a double standard as to who gets prosecuted in January 6th and, and it happens with FBI and who they investigate, all, all that is, is true. Uh, we're aware of election fraud at a massive level and elected officials understanding and not doing anything, not speaking up or just, you know, passing some law that has a minor correction to something in the voting process, but not really addressing the problem. It feels like the country has many ways in which our republic itself is being stolen and, and, and the ideas of the republic are being stolen. And I think that happened in COVID. The notion of forced vaccination of, or maybe not forced or you are put in jail, but you can't work, you can't travel, you can't go out of your house, you can't go places. That seems to me a surrender on the part of the people. Just the mask thing. Yeah, the just, mask thing. Just yeah. the mask thing. That was, it's not a mask, it's a muzzle. Yeah. Right. It's a symbolic, and actually as... You they know, wanted to make you submit. It was a question of authority. I think Fauci even admitted that sometime recently. Yeah. Well, it's about authority, the government's authority to tell you what to do, to make you do what they want you to do. Right, and you lose that sense of independent, self-reliant, American spirit, rights to the individual, live in freedom. Simone Gold made this, she said it many times, but she made this on my show. She said, wearing a mask to prevent a virus from you know, getting into your mouth or nose is like building a chain link fence to keep out mosquitoes. It does zero good, no good right. at all. Does, and she said, you learn this in first year medical school. Right. Viruses are not stopped by masks. And so, so it's very symbolic. So I love that you're working for the um, helping the military. Didn't you ever, someone had a recent victory in that note that, that some of the people who were gonna be kicked out were uh, allowed to remain in, or is that accurate? A court today just um, issued an injunction against forcing a number of people in the Air Force from being required to take the vaccine. They haven't recognized any religious exemptions. Yeah. I, I just want to, and I will tell you, and I really, I swear I'm gonna go out of questions. I do feel like though, there's kind of a, a spirit of freedom rising up. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, it's always my thing about the right, you know, 
life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, God-given rights, you have the right, this is what America is all about. But it's really happening around the world in, in different ways, like the trucker protests in Canada, and now... Um, Farmers they, they, in the Netherlands. Oh my gosh, they've been fabulous. Italy's brought about the resignation yes, of their prime the minister. Yes, the prime minister of Italy resigned because the truckers, the farmers, are saying this Green New Deal lunacy is is starving us, is starving our farms, destroying... And, and so this is happening in Italy, Germany, um, Spain, I forgot the, the Western European countries. I'm just, I'm you know, climate um, yeah. zealotry uh, is really another avenue or aspect of way in which people are held down. But somehow I sense that there's this, when it finally hits your home, your family, people, or your farm, you're, we're starting to see people stand up. I mean, did you sense that? There's that kind of rising resistance? I yes, love that. and I just spent some time in South Dakota on a, a third or fourth generation family farm. The farmers are really hurting here. Uh, the policies of this administration are just destroying the farmers. And we've got to stop people from selling our country and different parts of it to foreign interests. Yes, I, I would love, I don't know if it would be constitutional. I'd love to have a federal law or a state law, just yeah, keep your ownership here in America. Well, there's just, a federal agency that is supposed to oversee that. It's called CFIUS, the Committee on International Foreign Investments in the U.S. And that, I think, is part of what led to the de determination of the uni party, as I call it, to oust President Trump because the CFIUS transactions went down dramatically during the time oh. that Trump was in office. The, the committee failed, refused to approve billions of dollars worth of transactions that were on the table, many with China, that prior administrations had approved. Like CFIUS had to approve the sale of uranium to Russia no problem with the Clintons, right? <laughs> yeah, so we sold, uh, I forgot what percentage of our uranium supply to, to Russia. And the Chinese were buying up, well, they owned the Waldorf Astoria in, in New York. So no dignitary, no government official could ever stay in the Waldorf Astoria again because you know every room is probably bugged. Um, you know, we, we've sold uh, major portions of this country to China. They own Smithfield Foods. They own a lot of the meat packing plants. Um, that's why there was so much COVID breakout in, I think it was South Dakota or North Dakota. It was in the meat packing plants that are owned and, and fully staffed by Chinese. So they, they come over here from their Chinese New Year and you know, 300 people in one small town in South Dakota or whatever have a massive outbreak of COVID that spreads. We, and they've infiltrated all our universities. But we're fighting back. I'm telling you, America, I know there are many, 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 many avenues of the fight and it's not gonna be everything fixed tomorrow. But I do think, I think the COVID, I know people observe this, never going to questions, but observe this about when COVID came along and schools closed down and parents, that was one time people woke up and parents had to teach their kids at home and they started to realize what the kids were learning at school. They're saying, what do you mean? George Washington was a bad guy. What do you mean the founders? And, and so they, they started to learn that, I think, in the COVID, the extreme shutdown under COVID, unjustified by the facts. 
and, I, and then all this we're watching now with the farmers, they're just on and on and on. I, I think that people are starting to wake up and realizing you have to defend the republic is a great name. Defend the republic because you're the only ones who can. You can't rely on the government officials. It's not your congressman, your senator. It's we the people. Yeah, we the people have got to do it one by one, precinct by precinct, county by county. Nobody can sit on the sidelines anymore. Amen. Okay, we have uh, time for audience questions. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we're just gonna hand off the microphone and pass it around, please. Hello, I'm Carol Nichols, and Sydney, you're an American hero. Oh, thank you. Yes, you are. <laughs> With regard to the legislative process and how laws are created, what is your view of the long-term impact of the Dobbs versus Jackson ruling by the Supreme Court? The long-term impact on our legislative process. What's your view? It's really a huge step forward in returning the powers to the states. It reinforces our concept of federalism that is so important. Governors have a lot more power then they exercise, and the good ones need to start exercising it. I don't know why governors in Republican states, including Texas and Florida in particular, have not undertaken a serious criminal investigation of the contents and the running of our voting machines. Because it didn't just happen in the swing states that we are, have focused on, uh, the problems are, are nationwide, and they're every, every Republican governor or attorney general could have investigated the issue in their own state, and I don't think a one of them has done it. Okay, I don't know who has, oh, he has a microphone. Okay, so, let's. <laughs> in your last Defending the Republic email blast, your headline was, we need to be prepared to push back. Yeah. And you were predicting another round of lockdowns, mass mandates, and forced vaccines. What are you foreseeing that's coming down the pike? What's their impetus going to be? Well, I think they're trying their dead level best to resurrect the COVID fear. I hope that is not successful. Tennessee, for one, has made ivermectin available over the counter. Oh, wow. oh, that's yeah, great. As it should be. <clears throat> That's another thing I screamed at, at Governor Abbott about on Twitter was to make hydroxychloroquine available over the counter and ivermectin. He can do that with the stroke of a pen. And ivermectin is also being found to be a cure for cancers, a number of cancers. And it's a Nobel, Peace, Nobel Prize winning drug that is perfectly safe as long as you don't take enough for a horse. And, <laughs> and it should be available over the counter everywhere just like it is Tennessee and we could shut a lot of things down. Yes. And why he won't do that, I can only assume is because of the interests of Big Pharma. Yep. Sydney, thank you for all you're doing for us and you are our hero. But real quick, this may be an oversimplification, but since the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade and then the Coach Kennedy case and uh, something else, but Second couldn't the yeah, couldn't the Supreme Court overturn the election or not? Is it not that simple? I mean, could they? It has, I know 
it would have to have the right case in front of it. Uh, and it would work best if several states decertified the results of the election because of fraud first. And so that's necessary for uh, Yeah, something would have to happen first to put the issue before them again since they failed to address it when it first came up. In a cowardly manner. Go ahead. I yeah, that was me saying that. My name's Mark. My name is Mark Brugge. I live in Collin County. And I've been working along with several other little groups to try to implement paper ballots or deal with election integrity issues. For instance, we go up to the county commissioner and we speak in front of them. We've had private meetings with them. I've put together Dr. S uh, Dr. Frank and Seth Keschel in a private meeting, invited them all, including the county sheriffs, and only four of them showed up. My point is, is there's a lot of thousands of people, just like me, I'm sure many people in this audience, who want to do something. And we're trying and we're trying. And it's unfair to ask you because you're not an orbital of all truth and all knowing. But if you could give us, I think that's the biggest struggle we're having is how do we take back this country county by county? How do we put pressure on these people to, to at least acknowledge it, getting them to even acknowledging it's even a problem? Yeah. So, and then putting pressure on them to, to act. And everybody acts like you see. They put their head in the sand. They don't want to acknowledge it. I'm sorry, I'm running on, but I think you get the point. How, yep. What do you I, recommend? I think it's yeah. going to take getting a lot of people to go with you to every county commissioner's meeting. See if you can get some press focused on it. That's going to be hard, but you know, take your own camera if you need to and film it and put it on social media. The more numbers you can show, the more visibility you can get to it and just get it out there everywhere. I mean, send, send the video to me. I'll get it out through our Department of De Defending the Republic newsletter. Um, and, and please do, while I'm on that, sign up for our newsletters and then send them to everybody you know. Create a group email thing uh, on whatever your email provider is and s forward it to everybody you know every time it comes out and ask them to sign up. Um, because we've got to get more eyes on it, and direct email is generally the best way to do that. But yeah, I mean, we've, we've got to, the more numbers we show, the more uncomfortable we make it for them in a civil, orderly, lawful way, the, the more effect it's going to have. I mean, if you take a thousand people with you, like they did with the school boards, if you take a thousand people with you to the county commissioner's meeting to demand paper ballots, they're going to sit up and start noticing. I'm going to throw on one other point, which is elected officials, they want two things. They want money and they want re-election. And if they start to feel like if I don't do what these citizens are saying, I'm going to lose my position, then they'll change their minds. They will not act until forced. And I'm telling everybody in writing, I'm not giving another dime to any political candidate until we have paper ballots hand counted because it is one big charade. Right. and certainly don't give it to any political parties. <laughs> certainly. But if you can possibly afford it, please give a monthly contribution to Defending the Republic. I was going to say, you can <laughs> yes, for her organization. So, so, Sydney, did you by chance see the interview that Bill Barr did about his book recently? I don't remember which one of the um, news broadcasters it was, but he declared that there was no election fraud, and that's in his book. I think that's really going to hurt us a lot. And I want to know, since you, you're kind of a mover and a shaker, how do we, who do we go to, to to really push him to retract that? 
because he said it absolutely that there was no fraud. And he actually said a few things that were good about Trump. But then when it came to that, he just declared absolutely there was no fraud. Who can we go to to get some him to back off? Uh, I, <clears throat> I wish I knew. I, I thought the world of Bill Barr until that. And the only explanation, well, I have two sort of explanations. One, he didn't look at the evidence. That's the only way he could. And the other is he's former CIA. Oh. Uh, that's, and I'm convinced the CIA has a hand in all of it. Ever since I found the patents, I think that's, that's irrefutable. Wow. Let's all thank Sidney Powell again so very much for coming today. Thank you very much. Honest to goodness, every time I talk to you, I wish we had three hours. Thank you very much for being here. And for our listeners, thank you so very much for listening to America Can We Talk. The show is on every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. On Thursdays, we always have our special show like today was. Uh, we have two more special, wonderful shows in July. Uh, we are taking the Thursday show off in August. So we'll do Monday through Wednesday, but no Thursday shows in August. But coming back the first Thursday in September, which happens to be September 1st. We have Congressman Louis Gohmert joining us. We have two great guests in the next two weeks. Uh, and actually, every single day, please tune in to America Can We Talk. Again, Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show to speak up for America because America matters. Thank you so very much for listening. Can we talk truth about America?